I was with a friend this week, and we were talking about life issues, and I was explaining to him actually about a relationship wound that I have. And I was telling him that I understand that the kingdom of God is the kingdom of right relationships. And I know how Jesus would want me to deal with this relationship, with this wound. And I told him there's a part of me, the, the natural side of me, the, the fleshy side of me, that wanted to deal with it the opposite way. And so then he made this statement to me. He said, oh, come on, be the better man. He was challenging me, be the better man. And immediately, as if and I sensed it was God speaking to me, my spirit sensed he was saying, God was saying to me, so what if you do the right thing? What makes you think you're still the better man? And that's the thing about wounds. Wounds make clear to us what kind of man or woman we are. St. Teresa of Avila, and I think we have a picture of her. She was a Carmelite nun and a theologian of com contemplative life through prayer. She had this wonderful intimacy with God because she prayed 24 hours a day and focused on Him without distraction. And one day she was riding on her donkey, and the donkey was spooked, and it, it bucked, and it threw her off, and she landed with a thud on the ground. And because she has just this intimate relationship with God, she immediately just threw out what she was thinking, and she said this, if this is the way that you treat your friends, no wonder you have so many enemies. <laughs> I want to propose to you this morning that wounds... Don't come our way because God is our enemy. But wounds come our way because God is our friend. You say, well, how can that be? The most distinguishing characteristic of God, the thing that you would do if, if God would suddenly just reveal himself here in the way that he did to many of the Old Testament characters like Isaac or to Moses or to, to Elijah, your immediate response would be something along the lines of this, holy, holy. We talk about God's love, but what makes God's love so wonderful is his holiness. We would cry out, holy. It's exactly what's happening around his throne right now by creatures we can hardly describe, and they're crying out, holy, holy. There's this antiphonal chant going in, in this place where God's throne is, and it's holy, 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 holy. And, and those humans that are there are looking up, seeing him crying, holy, putting their heads back down, looking back up, crying, holy, and it goes on and on and on and on, because holy means this, an awful thing. And it's not that God is an awful thing, an awful person. It's a situation that they find themselves in that is an awful thing because when you get a clear picture of God, you see his massiveness and the fact that he's uncontrollable, that this is who we are and this is who he is and that we shouldn't even be close to him and because he is so other than what we know, it scares us. And what is amazing is that God's main business is to make us holy. God's desire from the very beginning in the garden was for us to live in his otherness. We've been calling that around here, living in the holy wild. 
And this I want us to know, that the holy wild will wound us. There's a story about a, a guy who really, really, really wants to worship God. He has his passion to come after God. And so he's in prayer, and he feels like God says to him, and God says, what will you bring to me as your offering? And so he thinks for a moment, he's a very affluent man. He says, well, I'll give you my estate. I'll give you everything I possess because I really want you, so I don't need this. I will give it to you. He does that, and, and then God says, but what, what else will you bring? And he thinks for a moment. He says, well, my business, my business is very successful. I'll give you my business. Well, God says, well, what else will you bring? He thinks, well, what else do I have? He says, well, I love my family. I have a great family. I want you so, so much that I will, I will dedicate my family to you. Here's my family. He says, but what else will you bring? And he thinks and he thinks. He finally says, there's nothing left. It's just me. And God says, that's what I want. I want you. What God wants from us is simply this, that God wants us naked before him. No covering of stuff, no covering of accomplishments, no covering of, of family names, no covering of, of accomplishments, no covering of anything at all, just me and God, me before God naked. This is Jack Reisner, God, nothing else around me, just me. And that's scary because we know we can't control his response. And we are so much like Jacob. Jacob's father, Isaac, and his grandfather, Abraham, had this wonderful trusting relationship with Jehovah God. God loved them. He liked them. He blessed them because they trusted him so deeply. Jacob, on the other hand, preferred that his destiny be wrapped up in his own, own hands. He wanted to control everything himself because he didn't trust anyone else and he didn't trust God. In fact, God was merely someone to bail him out when he was in jeopardy, when he was in trouble, when he's in a jam. He, he would do in a pinch. And it started from his birth because the scripture says that even in the womb with his twin brother, he tried to get out first. He wanted to be first, and though he didn't make it, he eventually stole his brother's birthright and manipulated his brother to get his birthright. He stole his birthright, and his brother said, now I will steal your life. And so Jacob escaped, and he lived apart from his brother. But in his old age, it was inevitable that he would have to confront his brother. See, some wounds we think are healed by time, a lot of wounds are infected by time. And Jacob expects that to be the problem with Esau. Esau, who is much bigger, much stronger. He's a, he's a, a man's man. He's, he'd play linebacker for the Steelers. He's, he's that kind of guy. He could carry a piano on his back. That's the kind of guy he is. And Jacob is frightened, so he begins to scheme. And here's what the Scripture tells us he did. Genesis 32 says this. Then Jacob sent messengers ahead to his brother Esau, who was living in the region of Seir in the land of Edom. He told them, give this message to my master Esau, humble greetings from your servant Jacob. Here we go with the manipulation. Until now I have been living with Uncle Laban, and now I own cattle, donkeys, flocks, and sheep, and goats, and many servants, both men and women. I have sent these messengers to inform my Lord of my coming, hoping that you will be friendly to me. After delivering the message, the messengers returned to Jacob and reported, we met your brother Esau, and he is already on his way to meet you with an army of 400 men. 
Jacob was terrified at the news. He divided his household along with the flocks and herds and camels into two groups. He thought if Esau meets one group and attacks it, perhaps the other group can escape. See, Jacob only trusts himself. So he says, here's the plan. I'll take half the family and, and half the goods and I'll split them up. And if he attacks one, I'll escape with the other. And at least I'll have something to begin again with. And then he prays. And it's a manipulative prayer. He, he in essence, says, oh, God, I humbly thank you that I'm not worthy of the kindness you've shown me. It's just humble posturing. He says, and, and, and let me remind you that, that you are the one who sent me back, so this is your deal. And remember, you made this promise that I, I would have descendants like the sands on the shore and like the stars in the sky, so you owe me. And oh, by the way, do you want all those innocent children and moms murdered? So you really do have to answer. But just in case he didn't, he began to scheme. He decided that he would use bribery and flattery, diversions and delay. He would overwhelm Esau with gifts and groveling. And so what he does is he just starts, he, he takes a lot of cattle and he sends them ahead with gifts. And then after that wave of people have gone, he sends another wave and another wave and another wave, wearing down his brother is his hope. And then he will see, Esau will see all the family and all his relatives that he didn't even know he had. So by the time he gets to Jacob, who's at the very end of the line, he'll have compassion. Scripture says this, Jacob thought, I will try to appease him by sending gifts ahead of me. And when I see him in person, perhaps he'll be friendly to me. So the gifts were sent on ahead while Jacob himself spent that night in the camp. During the night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two servant wives, and his 11 sons and crossed the Jabbok River with them. And after taking them to the other side, he sent over all his possessions. And this left Jacob, what? All alone in the camp. There will come a time for each of us when we are stripped and we are naked before God. We are all alone. For God wants us to be naked before him. All of the things that have given us substance, importance, contentment, the things that have cluttered and crowded our lives, are taken across the river, they're separated from us, and here we stand. Well, that separation can come in a lot of ways. It, it can come because, because I made a mess. It can, can be cause, come because somebody else messed me up. It can become some, a wound, and it can become an issue because God is messing with me. But the bottom line is that someday I'm going to stand before God and, and I'm going to be here, and, and, and I'm going to be at the end because there's nothing else around me. It's just me and God. I'm at the end. I've got nothing. And there I am, naked before him. Now what? Where we end, God begins. See, all we know in the story is that a man shows up, and Jacob, because this is his nature, begins to wrestle the guy. And so they begin to wrestle, and, and Jacob's pretty confident because he's really good at this manipulation. He's good at getting what he wants. And the story says this, a man came and wrestled with him until the dawn began to break. When the man saw that he would not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of its socket. 
And the man said, let me go for the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. You know, this is more than just some family reunion. Let's see who's stronger thing. This is life and death. And in the midst of that, Jacob knows that he's dealing with someone who's much stronger than he thought because this guy reaches over and touches his hip and knocks it out of socket. He knows this guy has much more strength, but he hasn't, he hasn't used it to its full extent. And he knows that kind of strength comes from someone divine. So he doesn't know if this is God or a messenger from God, but he knows it's divine. And because of that, he will not let go. And he says, you got to do this. you got to bless me. Because if you don't bless me, i got nothing. Everything's separated from me now. I've got nothing. And so the man says this. What is your name? And he replied, Jacob. There will be that moment when you feel that everything's been stripped from you. And it's just you and God. And you say, God, you got to help me because I got nowhere else to go. I got nothing. And God's going to ask you a simple question. What's your name? Who are you? Who are you with your accomplishments pulled to the side? Who are you with your family name out of the way? Who are you without, with the religious tradition from you? Who are you? Who are you inside? Who are you in here? Who are you? What's your name? Because your name represents who you are. Stripped of all facades, no cover-ups. Who are you? Jacob answers, because his name means deceiver. I'm a manipulator and I'm I'm a deceiver. It's going to happen to us. It can happen because I've messed up. When my wife comes to me and says to me, in the first decade of our marriage, I think I'm going to take the kids and leave you. And God says to me, who are you? And I say, I'm, I'm not a very good husband. It could be because someone else has, has, has done something to me, and so here I am working, and they haven't paid me for six months, and we're barely making it by, and I'm holding a foreclosure notice in my hand for our house, and God says, who are you? And I say, I'm empty. I got nothing. It can even be God messing with us. About 10 years ago, in a matter of two weeks, three different people who didn't know anything about the other two, three different people, one came to me and said, I want to let you know that I don't think you're a very good worshiper. And it crushed me. Immediately thereafter, another person came to me and said, I don't think you're a very good preacher. And then somebody else came to me and said, I don't think you're a very good leader. And then God asked the question, who do you think you are? What's your name? My honest response was, I'm a failure without you. I got nothing. All of us will get there. If we honestly spend time with God and wrestle with him, we will come to that place. What does God do with someone who's broken down? What does God do with someone who's lost it all? What does God do with someone who seems to be at their end? They got nothing. They are naked and ashamed. What does he do? 
The story says this, God responds, your name will no longer be Jacob. From now on, you'll be called Israel because you have fought with God and with men and have won. Please tell me your name, Jacob said, and why do you want to know my name? The man replied, then he blessed Jacob there. See, outside the holy wild, most of it would say, yeah, he is exactly that way, God. Now nail him. We do that to ourselves. God, I'm just miserable. You, can't, you, don't, you won't do anything for me because I'm just horrible. But what does God do? In our vulnerable, honest moments, God wants to bless us. In our broken places, he wants to bless us. In our honesty of how we really are, he wants to bless us. I think that's the reason why he asked the question. He says, who are you? Tell me your name. And the man's response, in essence, is, you already know who I am. We've met before. And I'm, I'm the one, I'm the God who loves you enough that I've wounded you. You love me you, and you wound me because you love me? Yes, because the wounding changes your name. He said, your name up to this point has been deceiver, and that's been your character. You have been just a manipulator and a deceiver, and the people that you have manipulated hate you. But I'm changing you into Israel. It comes from two words. The first word is Sarah, meaning having power as a prince, and the word El, which is the word for divinity, simply meaning that you will rule as God. You have the power of a prince with divinity surrounding you. And because you will refuse to let go, even in your brokenness, I am blessing you. When we wrestle with God, he will leave his mark and he will change our name. He leaves his mark because he wants us to know and remember what it was like when we just trusted ourselves. He wants us to know that even though we didn't know at the time, we were already limping. Jacob is limping, but he was limping long before that time. And that mark reminds him, this is what it's like when you try to do this on your own without God. When you haven't gone face to face with him, when you haven't allowed him to wrestle with you and change your name, because the change of name tells you that he has a new life for you. Tells you what life is going to be like now that you trust him. You will rule. The destiny he has designed for you, you now have the authority and the power to fulfill. And the story says, Jacob named a place Peniel, which means face of God, for he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been spared. And something miraculous happened. Instead of waiting at the end of the line, he now crosses the river and he stands in front of his family and now he will believe, he believes that he is going to be the one who has power to lead his family. If God told him that he's a winner, then he will trust God. And the story says, then Jacob went on ahead, and as he approached his brother, he bowed to the ground seven times before him. Then Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and threw his arms around his neck and kissed him, and they both wept. Surprise. Esau loves you. God even answered that, that shallow, manipulative prayer of Jacob's. And he knew God had arranged this because the Scripture says, Jacob said, for I have seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God, and you have accepted me. I honestly think that when we get to the end, 
when there's nothing there except us and God, is when we best see God's face. Because he's all we have. Some of you sit here today and you're broken and you feel like you're at the end and that's where God begins. Many of you in this community of faith know that my father is suffering with dementia and he's in his final stages. This morning at 7.30 we received a phone call that he's back in the hospital dealing with pneumonia and it's not going away and, and we don't know where it's going to take us. But my concern for my dad, my, my dad was this man who was, was strong and an adventurer. He, he loved to fly airplanes. Uh, he loved to, to run races. He loved to race fast cars. Uh, he, he was the chaplain for the California Higher Patrol and would go out and, and do their physical training with the cadets, him in his 50s and them in their early 20s, and keep up with them. In fact, they'd say, if that old man can make it, I can make it. And now he's just a shell of a man. As I see the pictures, I can't believe it's my dad. He's a man who loved to write poetry and was a very creative writer and a wonderful, eloquent speaker. And through his years, thousands of people came to know Jesus because of his, his ability to communicate. And he had this deep, deep passion for Jesus because he'd always say to me, have you taken time today to wait on God to just be in his presence, to go face to face with him? And so now I see him and he's able to, he's not even able to really say any sentences. He's not able to say maybe a word or two and, and he, and he, and he acts like he wants to say something, but he can't get the thoughts there. And it's just, it's just not fun to watch. And, and I'm worried about him and I'm thinking, God, why, 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 why? And one of the brothers here in this community of faith came to me and he didn't know the degree of the difficulty. And he came and said, I was praying for you and, and God put your father on my mind and, and I just want you to know that God, I think God has a word for you. And God told me to tell you that he is having wonderful communication and fellowship with your father, even in this place. And what I discovered at that moment is when everything's stripped, you still get God face to face. My mom called me a couple weeks ago and she was sobbing and said, Mom, what's wrong? She said, your dad's okay. But she said, I've just lost it. I just, I can't go. I, I, I know I'll go on, but th today I'm just losing it. She said, I've, I've just been spending time reading his love letters when we dated. So that, I prayed with her and we talked. And the next morning I called and said, Mom, how are you? She said, I'm good, I'm good. And I said, Mom, how do you do that? Simply this that when you're at the end is when God begins. And suddenly she has the strength. This morning I said, Mom, how are you doing? She said, I'm good. I'm just praying that when it's time that he goes peaceful, and I know God will honor that. You're at the end. You don't know what to do. And it's that moment God says, I've come to bless you. So welcome to the holy wild. In the holy wild, we get wounded and we get stripped, but we get God. We begin to see answers that we've never seen before. So deep, we begin to breathe trust. Breathe in trust instead of exhaling manipulation. And like Jacob, we begin to see God's promises begin to multiply like the stars above us. And we begin to realize that we never danced until we limped. So as we've been ending every one of these sermons in this series, 
I have good news and bad news for you. The bad news is this. We will come to the end. The good news is this. It's just the beginning. this is not the end because when we get to the end God's just beginning so would you stand if this morning you'd like to know more about a relationship with God through Jesus please stop by our information desk we have information there for you and people to talk with you so now I want to pray a blessing over you may you in these next hours and in these moments that you feel stripped and naked and so exposed, but yet so authentic, 
May you feel yourself covered by his grace, energized by his destiny for you. May you have the courage to tell him who you are. And may you have the expectancy that he will bless you, that he will pour miracles into your life, and that you will find that even though you limp, you have great strength and that you rule as a prince with divinity surrounding you, behind you, with you, and ahead of you. And may you find that you have become everything that you deeply ever wanted to be in him. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day.